Our Father, we thank you that we can come together tonight to learn uh, what Olivia has to teach us about how anti-Semitism is becoming such a significant aspect of our life here in America, something we never, never expected. We pray for our friends in the Jewish community. We pray that uh, we can be faithful witnesses with our lives uh, to those around us, to anyone around us, that we may shine forth as a light and that that may stimulate those around us to ask questions and to be open to us and to trust us. Father, we pray that as we face the challenges that are coming in this culture, that we will stand firm on the basis of your word. And so, Father, we thank you for Olivier, for the way you've worked in his life in uh, making him a spokesperson for this very important issue of anti-Semitism and that we would all be more alert to this as we go forward. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, our, speaker, our speaker tonight is Olivier Melnick. Olivier was born in France, lived there for about 35 years. Is that right? 35 years? 37 years. 27 years. 27 years. What's what's a year or two? Um, and uh, so he has, he has worked in uh, Jewish... Ministry with Ariel Ministries, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, with Chosen People Ministries, and now as of two weeks ago to the day, he has ventured out in a new ministry, Shalom in Messiah Ministries. So he is uh, stepping out uh, into this new ministry, trusting God to provide for him, and so we're excited to see how the Lord's going to use him. So, uh Olivier, come on up here. Nobody bites. They may shoot. I'm not scared. But they won't bite. They may shoot? <laughs> well, we're in Texas. I expect no, you know. Well, thank you for uh, the warm welcome, Pastor Robbie. Thank you so much. Uh, this is a privilege to be here. I... Uh, I just drove here. I live in uh, Dallas. Uh, we, uh, my wife and I, wife of uh, 40 years last July, she's the one who led me to the Lord. Uh, my wife and I moved to the uh, Dallas area, to Texas, really, uh, a little over two and a half years ago. We, before that, we lived in the northwest in the Seattle area. But eventually, we decided it was time for us to defect. So we moved to Texas. And we love it. We miss the beauty of the Northwest. I'll give you that much. But we don't miss the shenanigans. So, um, uh, and uh, so I am the executive director of Shalom and Messiah Ministries. And uh, this is a ministry that uh, is uh, specializes in what we do is we, we exist to uh, expose and oppose anti-Semitism, equip and mobilize Christians and lead Jewish people to their Messiah. That is our uh, mission statement. And uh, uh, my dear brother asked me to come here tonight to share with you uh, about the importance of, of, of anti-Semitism, what's going on. And uh, my, my, my role in all this is I'm trying to equip Christians and mobilize Christian, Christians, uh, understanding the history of the Jewish people and how anti-Semitism has been evolving over, over the centuries and where we are today, which did not happen in a vacuum. 
And I am a firm believer that we actually can use what's happening with anti-Semitism to our advantage if we understand properly what's going on, where it's from, and how we can reach out to the Jewish community. And that's what I'm hoping to do tonight. I just want to let you know right away from the, from the beginning, my slides have a lot of information, and I will give you a chance at the end to get uh, the slides so you don't have to take notes. So you can listen. And if we finish early, which I was told before 1 in the morning, is that still, Pastor Rabbi, one, midnight, 1 in the morning? Okay. Uh, then we can do a Q&A. I'm hoping to finish early so we can have a, a few minutes of Q&A, uh, if at all possible, because I'm going to bring up a lot of things that probably um, uh, might be new to, to many of you. So uh, the title, so one of my shortest titles Redeeming the past, acting in the present, altering the future, a biblical view of Israel. So, talking about redeeming the past. Uh, you know, when I think about uh, the history of Christianity, have Christians missed the mark in making the Jewish people jealous? Because in Romans 11.11, 11, we read, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them angry. No, jealous. But unfortunately, a lot of times when you talk to Jewish people, the Jewish people have been made angry, not jealous. When we hear Jesus loves you, we think like the same Jesus that you tell us we crucified. So there is a disconnect. Wh which is it? Well, I think Christians... Not all Christians, we never want to paint with broad strokes, but Christians, generally speaking, have, um, they have missed the mark. They have, uh, it, they, they have really, they could have done a better job in making Jewish people jealous. So, I am hoping, and, and I'm looking right now at the, where we are, and especially, especially since October 7th. I'm looking at, at where we are right now, and there's going to be a, a, a a great opportunity for Christians today to redeem the past. Not redeem the past based on something you did, but redeem the past based on something Christians did not do 70, 80 years ago during World War II, during the, 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 the Holocaust years, and before and after, but mostly at that time is uh, what, what, what comes to mind. So I want to show you this suitcase. Um, I, I came up with this... With this uh, the design, this, this visual here, uh, a few years ago, uh, this is something, and there's two sides of it, this side with the Crusades, the Inquisition, the pogroms, Martin Luther, the Holocaust, the Black Plagues, and this side with forced conversions, blood libels, host desecrations, the greedy Jew, the ghettos, the expulsions, all those things are what your Jewish friends will know about will ask you questions about and most Christians don't really have an answer. They don't even know some of the things. When I tell some Christians that Martin Luther wrote some very abrasive words about the Jews at the end of his life, a lot of Christians don't even know that. That's just one thing. So th what I want you to understand is that that suitcase, that baggage is something that every Christian brings to the conversation when they meet a Jewish person. You cannot ignore it. You cannot change it. You cannot diminish it. You cannot rewrite it. It exists in the mindset of a Jewish person. You bring this to the table. So you better know what's inside. Now, I don't have time tonight to give you an overview. It's at like 
20 or 30 hour class that I do on the history of Jewish people uh, through the eyes of anti-Semitism from the closing of the canon to today to the, the, you know, the global jihad. And we don't have time to do that tonight. But uh, you need to be aware that that suitcase is something that you have. Again, this is not something you own personally, but this is something that your Jewish friend, your Jewish neighbor, Jewish co-worker, schoolmate, thinks that belongs to you by virtue of being a Christian. You need to be aware of that. Now, we're still we're looking at um, redeeming the past first. So, before, uh, before we can even go into the present. So, redeeming the past, World War II and the Holocaust. World War II and the Holocaust. Uh, I want to bring an example here because I'm going to talk about a group of people in a minute known as the bystander, which is not a good thing. Uh, but here, I want to bring the example, of course, of the, the passage of Luke 10, uh, 30-33. Yeshua replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. They, were stripped, they stripped him and beat him and went away, having him half dead. And by chance, a priest, a Jewish priest, was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, another Jewish man, also went, when he came to the place and he saw him, passed by the other side. But a Samaritan... Not exactly a friend of the Jews. A Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. So, I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. It's not always the obvious people that can make a difference, but everybody can make a difference. In this case, a Samaritan, you know, gave the title of the Good Samaritan to people helping, going out of their way to help people. Now, I don't have audio, so I'm going to skip this one. Never mind it. You didn't see that. But uh, it's, it's a one-minute testimonial, but I w I'll tell you about it. I want to talk about the bystanders. This was a Holocaust survivor who talked about the importance of not being a bystander. Uh, who were the bystanders? They were not the rescuers. They were not the victims. They were not the direct perpetrators. But here is the important part you need to understand. A bystander who does nothing only facilitates the work of a perpetrators. A bystander who does nothing only facilitates the work of a perpetrator. And the reason why I'm, I'm talking to you about bystanders is because today, more than ever, more than ever before, especially after what happened on October 7th, Christians cannot afford to be bystanders. We have a choice to make when it comes to Jewish people, to my people. Did I mention I was Jewish? The question that's on all of your minds right now, I know, I know. And let me answer it right now because it's going to drive you crazy throughout the, the whole evening. How do I keep my hat on? <laughs> I know you're all wondering, how does he do that? And the answer is... Velcro! How did you know? It is very cool. All right. So, now that we got the big question out of the way. So, the bystanders. I want to tell you a story. Uh, uh, summer of 1942, Paris, France. Uh, here is a family, Maurice Weinzweig and Evelyn and Bert Weinzweig. Husband and wife and a uh, 16-year-old um, Evelyn. You see they're wearing uh, the Jewish star. Uh, the, they're Jewish. I mean, with a name like Weinzweig, you would have guessed. And what happened is that... Um, 
um, the Gestapo, uh, Gestapo officers came to get Maurice at his home. He was hiding in a basement, and Maurice complied, promising to his family that he'd be back soon. And unfortunately, he disappeared in the smokestacks of Auschwitz, never returned. And that was um, Maurice was Bert's husband and Evelyn's uh, father. And um, much later, uh, they found out that this is the this is a uh, uh, the the memorial of the deportation of the Jews of France. That's what it says on the cover in French. And they found his name there, Maurice Weinzweig, right there, and found out that that was him. He was born in Olika, Russia, and uh, in in 1898, and he was taken to Auschwitz. The Germans kept very very good lists of all the uh, the people they took on the different convoys, and that book has about 80,000 names because that's the amount of Jewish people taken uh, out of France uh, uh, between 1935 and, and, and 1939 1945 uh, Second World War so at that time there were people in the place where Maurice and his family lived they were basically looking behind the blinders they were the bystanders they were looking behind they were doing nothing why what was going and what was driving them to do nothing well it could be a lot of things uh, possible reasons for being a bystander, fear for your life, uh, feeling powerless, what's one person going to do? Uh, protecting your family, that, that's, that's valid. Greed, you know, getting a food ration uh, tickets, more, more of them maybe. Uh, hatred of Jews, definitely one of them. So, or a co combination of, of all those things. So these people existed uh, during World War II and they... Um, they helped the, the perpetrators. They became co-perpetrators, really, by virtue of not doing anything and looking the other way. Now, I want to move to the present now, because now I want to bring you back to October 7th and forward. And, uh, and before we can, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about redeeming the past and then, you know, acting in the present. Before we act in the present, I want to, I want to bring, bring a, a little more reality into, into what happened uh, on October 7th and... Uh, uh, I, I just want to warn you, and I, I don't see too many young kids here, but uh, there's going to be a couple of slides that are going to be graphic. So if it's a problem in the next four or five slides, just don't look at them because they're a little more graphic than the than the average, but they need to be there. So um, uh, it's not clear in the Jewish uh, mindset. I mean, it's clear in the world that everybody knows that the Hamas-Israel war, uh, the the the, the uh, terrorist attack of October 7th. Uh, was the heaviest Jewish death toll since the Holocaust. And actually, uh, some people in, in the Jewish community around the world have mentioned, uh, have called it, I'm not so sure it's 100% accurate, but they have called it a second Holocaust. I wouldn't go that far, but it's the, it is the heaviest Jewish death, death toll since the Holocaust in one day. Originally, they thought it was 1,400, then they brought it down to 1,200. By the way, do you notice that? That when the rest of of, of the world would inflate numbers. The Jewish people looked at the numbers. They said it's 1,400 people dead. And within a couple of weeks, when they were able to collect the DNA and put things together, they said, we need to correct our numbers. It's only 1,200. It's still a really bad terrorist attack. It's murder. But they took the time and the chutzpah. Chutzpah is a Jewish, a Yiddish word for guts. They had the chutzpah to say it's it's not 1400, it's 1200. And I applaud them for that because at a time like this, this is the last thing I would have want to talk about, but that's that's the Jewish side. They're not perfect by any means, but I, 
I, I think it's something to be noticed. So um, I want to show you now and then. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of writing an article right now. I already wrote one a little while ago, but uh, I, another article on, on Kristallnacht, because I believe right now the world, it looks like the world is preparing for a global Kristallnacht. Let me explain to you what Kristallnacht was. It was the night of, uh, of uh, November uh, 9 and 10 of 1938, when in Berlin, a bunch of uh, uh, um, people uh, went after the uh, German people and Nazis, went after the Jewish uh, uh, store owners and and burnt a bunch of synagogues to the ground. Here you see on the picture, Yud or Jude uh, and the Star of David on the front uh, front of a, of a store. Uh, it was a, a boycott and a pogrom, you know, a, a, uh, a, a an organized riot against Jewish people. Uh, Truth be told, between two and 300 Jewish people died during uh, Kristallnacht, which you think is not that much in the scope of the Holocaust. That is true. It's still 300 too many. But every, every historian recognizes that Kristallnacht is the, uh, the starting point of the Holocaust, of the, 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 the beginning of the Holocaust started at Kristallnacht. And the photo in 1938 on the top right of your screen shows a picture of Kristallnacht. The photo on the bottom left shows a picture of the walls in a, on the building in Paris, 2023. This is, what, by the way, this is where I'm from. I know I speak like a Texan now, but uh, uh, I'm from France. I guess I don't. Okay, all right. I tried. All right. Hey, I'm halfway there. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the the picture on the wall here is stars of David printed, stenciled on walls in. French businesses and French homes to identify where the Jews are. It doesn't get any closer to another crystal knot than to identify. I mean, look, Stars of David on a building in 1938, Stars of David on a building in 2023. 2023, my friends. This is almost 100 years later. We've almost come full circle when it comes to getting rid of the Jews. Let's keep going. Those are getting graphic for the next. The next two are probably more graphic. 1943, the uh, the ovens of Auschwitz on the top right. 19, uh, 2023, uh, people burnt alive in their cars uh, near the uh, the uh, kibbutz uh, at the border n next to the Gaza Strip. So that's again some parallels. One more. 1946, children. Dead bodies of children piled on a cart to be taken out. And the 2023, little babies killed on the kibbutz. Okay, I'll move because I don't want to look at those anymore. But th this is the reality. This is where we are. So looking at the present, Hamas committed genocide, ethnic cleansing, a pogrom, crimes against humanity. And yet the whole world is saying that Israel is committing all those. It's the, the, the whole thing is flipped. And this is part of the new anti-Semitism that, that I've seen now. I've been doing this for 23 years on the topic of anti-Semitism. This is what I've seen. The new anti-Semitism is that the perpetrators have become the victims and the victims have become the perpetrators. The Jews are called the new Nazis of the Middle East and the, the Palestinians are called the poor victims. Okay? Now, I have nothing against the Palestinians as people. They're Arabs. That's what they are. Let's call them what they are. They're not Palestinians. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. Palestine was the name of a landmass 
that you know that was called Israel, Eretz Israel, that was renamed that by Emperor Adrian in the first century just to humiliate the Jews, and it, it stuck, and the name stayed, and until 1948, nobody cared. It was like Palestine. The Jews are Palestinians, and the Arabs are Palestine. It was a landmass. And then Yasser Arafat grabbed hold of it and repurposed the word and, and, and charged it politically, and that became a, a, a group of people that was there before the Jews, and None of it is true. None of it is based on facts. But it's the world has been li- hearing this for 60 years now, and they buy it. And and people don't care about history. They don't want to study history. They don't want to study facts. They want to hear what makes you know what is pleasing to them, what agrees with their desire for social justice. And right now, what's happening in Gaza is is all bad because those poor Palestinians. You notice that within a week or less. Nobody was talking about October 7th anymore. The focus went from October 7th, the carnage, to what's going on in the Gaza Strip. So many people displaced, so many people killed. Well, it's war. Well, we need a ceasefire. Well, we had a ceasefire until October 6th. It had been going on since 2006 when Hamas was elected. There was a ceasefire. Not one Jew went into Gaza to bother anybody. And on October 7th, they broke the ceasefire. Don't get me started. I don't need you to get me started. So Hamas, the pogrom, the organized uh, 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 riot, um, unleashed anti-Semitism on a global scale. That's what happened. And, uh, you know, like here's the streets of New York, free Palestine. You've seen those pictures everywhere. Uh, of, of course, the uh, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Now, there were some uh, interviews done on the street by uh, people that would agree with us, uh, and they would ask, you know, conservative and Christians and both, and they would say, like, could you tell me, uh, what do you mean when you say from the river to the sea, from which river to which sea? The, uh, the, 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 the uh, river in, uh, in, in, in Gaza, uh, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, I mean, I should show you the video, it's, it's scary. It's just a statement that the kids are making, younger people, I should say, it's not just the kids, but the younger generation are making that makes them feel good because it sounds like, uh, like it's, you know, promoting social justice. But it's promoting genocide. From the river, Jordan River, to the sea, the Mediterranean, Palestine shall be free. Free of what? Free of Jews. Kill all the Jews. It is promoting genocide. This... Always, it, this gets me. When I saw those videos of New York, stu- New York University students tearing down the flyers of the Israeli hostages, saying like, those are not real people, this is fake news. They didn't want people to know who they were or to see their photos. This gets me so, so upset. This is brand new. Uh, how come you didn't get, oh, wait a minute. Wait, oh, there you go. I have it on here. And you're like, this happened three days ago. I could not believe it. February 2024, in Davos, which is known for the World Economic Forum, Switzerland, which is also a ski resort, uh, a ski shop decided they were going to stop renting equipment to Jews. Happened three days ago. It's, it's, still, it's still fresh on the news. After a, the, the, the uh, flyer says in, in Hebrew, um, after a series of annoying incidents, including the theft of a sled, we're no longer renting out sporting equipment to our Jewish brothers. Now, when confronted by the news and by the Jewish community, they said, this is not anti-Semitic. 
Wait a minute. If it's not anti-Semitic, how about we will no longer rent equipment to people that don't return it, or if you don't return it, you'll be charged a fee, and here is the fee. Boom, 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 boom. But to say that all Jews are not going to get a chance to rent, this is 100% anti-Semitic. Just happened three days ago. So this is where we are. So I'm telling you, this has the... It, it, if it looks like crystal knot, if it smells like crystal knot, if it reads like crystal knot, it's crystal knot. Let me show you some uh, cartoons. Now, th- what I want you to see on those cartoons is the themes, because everything that Israel is accused of, you'll pick up pretty quickly, the other side is doing. So on this one, the uh, angry dog is eating poor Palestinian babies, and don't miss the hand holding the dog. The Jewish dog is on a leash held by the U.S. Here is uh, Netanyahu drinking blood from Gaza Strip. Here is, oh, I love this one. The uh, the press is controlled by, of course, I mean, it's one of the, the older, oldest trope against uh, Israel. We control the press. We control the banks. We control everything. So because Israel controls the press, the press is controlling I mean, Israel is controlling the press, so the press is all in favor of Israel. Wait a minute. I haven't seen anything favorable to Israel on most of the mainstream media. So this is the opposite of that. But that's what the cartoon is saying. Here is, you know, this one is uh, humanity, the, the, you know, the evil uh, Jewish people under uh, a, a beautiful mask uh, uh, beyond humanity is the real evil I mean, those cartoons, are, um, all, all of them are Arabic cartoons, actually, from the Middle East. Here is uh, Netanyahu with a, start with a swastika um, uh, putting Palestinians in the ovens, just like in Auschwitz. Uh, how about this one? The whole world is being silenced, the Star of David on the zipper. The whole world is being science, silenced by Israel. It's the opposite. Israel is being silenced by the world. And the Israel has some friends. I mean, I, I, yes, that's true. But uh, but the vast majority of the world is totally buying the lies uh, against Israel. This one doesn't even need a an explanation. Neither does this one. Destroying a hospital in Gaza where the uh, the Palestinian flag uh, is burning. And here, concentration camps with a bunch of Palestinian kids and and women. So. It's the anti-Semitic cartoons, the ongoing global poison. And people are just, they keep publishing those cartoons and, and, and the world is, is buying it hook, line, and sinker. So now I want to talk about, you know, you know I, the, what I've done here is I, I, I talked to you about looking at the present to see the reality of where we are and the gravity of where we are. Now I want to talk about doing something about it, acting in the present to hopefully redeem the future, and that's what that's what I want to spend the rest of the three and a half hours we have. So, three things. Number one, prayer. What do we pray for? Well, uh, I was talking. Uh, we we're talking about that in the car on the way here with uh, with my brother about uh, peace is not just the absence of war. I mean, there is a peace that is the absence of war, but the ultimate peace is Yeshua, Jesus, messianic reign in Jerusalem. 
That's the ultimate, the real peace. The false peace is going to come, you know, at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. That's a, you know, in the second half, of course, there's not much peace after that. But uh, that's a false peace. So, number one, we pray. We pray for peace. We, you know, you know that verse, Psalm 122, 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. That's great. Christians have prayed that prayer, who love Israel, for many years. For decades. That's a wonderful verse. That's a wonderful prayer. But my friends, this, this is not enough anymore. And this is, this is where I feel very convicted to, 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 to share with Christians. We need to continue to pray for, um, for, for the peace of Jerusalem. But real, the, the real peace of Jerusalem is the return of the Messiah, Yeshua, to establish peace in the Middle East and to inaugurate the Millennial Kingdom which is just a, a little appetizer of the eternal order. So that's a good start, but that's not enough. But prayer for, prayer for messianic peace, Isaiah 2.4, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up swords against nations, neither they, they shall learn war anymore. That's a promise that we have that's coming uh, in, in the kingdom. The number one, we pray. We pray for peace. And we pray for the Jewish people. Number two, we speak up. We have to speak up. You have to speak up. We cannot, as Christians, become the new bystanders of the 21st century. This is not an option, my friends. There's things you can do. So speak up. Isaiah 62, 1, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet, until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the next verse has become, in the last couple of years, it, it, it actually, the, the next verse um, illustrates what I've been trying to do for 23 years. When I started telling people about what's coming to the Jewish people 23 years ago, they look at me and they thought, maybe Olivia, you should start wearing a tinfoil yarmulke, like a tinfoil hat, because like you're like, you're a little uh, out there. And I really wish they were right. And But here I am, and I'm not trying to go, I told you so, but here we are. I, my friends, I never thought, I never thought in my lifetime that I would see what's happening to my Jewish people right now that it would happen in my lifetime. I thought this was reserved for the tribulation. And I am pre-trib, pre-mill. We're not in the tribulation. I don't even need post-serial to be safe. I'm, we're not in the tribulation. But it doesn't mean that it cannot get bad before the tribulation. And I think we're seeing the beginning of it. But we're not, and we will not be in the tribulation. I'm convinced of that. Yet we have a uh, a biblical mandate to speak up. And so the next verse is, has become my new life verse for now. On your walls of Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. I consider myself a watchman. I've been looking at what's going on and I want to share with the rest of the Christian community what's going on, educate them the, educate them the best I can and call them, call you to action. That's that's what I mean by speaking up. There's more. Three, reaching out. And that's where we really, really need to start thinking hard about about what what role we can play today in our um, in our own communities. 
Matthew 25, 35-36. Uh, actually, it's more than that. There's a couple of slides. I'm going to read them. For I was hungry, and you... And this is the... This is the, 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 the this is the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And um, from what I understand, this is going to take place during the tribulation. And actually, it's at the end of the return of Messiah when he's going to look at Gentiles, Gentiles who treated the Jews either favorably or just ignored them. The sheep were favorable to the Jewish people during the tribulation. The goats, not so much. And in that passage, he basically sends those who ignore the Jews straight to the lake of fire. And those who help the Jews enter straight into the, mill- the Messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So that, that's the, 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 the stage. Now, the reason why I'm reading this to you, and I'll tell you after I read it to you, is because I want, I want us to learn something from that passage that's very important. So let me read it and I'll tell you what it is. For I was, this is Yeshua speaking to Gentiles who survived the tribulation and who Help the Jews. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So my challenge, my invitation to you, is that this will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation, but the principle could be applied today. And there's never been a better time for the Christian community to reach out to the Jewish people and tell them, your neighbors, your, the, the, the person you know in the store, your doctor. Yeah, we do have a few Jewish doctors, I know. So, Jewish doctor, Jewish lawyer, okay? Uh, your your Jew, schoolmates, uh, family members in some cases. There's never been, been a better time to tell Jewish people, I'm a Christian, and I've got your back. They need to hear this more than ever before. More than ever before. Because the, the, the default mechanism of a Jewish person is Christians are anti-Semitic and Christians don't like the Jews. That's, that's, that's what we think. That's not what I think. But that's what I used to think before I was saved. Well, the Christians, you know, you know they, they accuse us of killing Christ, which is an accusation that's been going on for, well, 2,000 years. It still goes on. It's just one of the things. You know, all those things on the, on the suitcase that I showed you at the beginning, those are real things, okay? And I, I'd, I'd have to come back. I'm inviting myself, Pastor Robbie, to come back for another seminar or something. You know, I mean, if I behave, can I come back? Okay. So, this, this is very important. Uh, I was watching a, uh, and I'm, I, I'm, we're going to come back to that as we, uh, as we wrap up this thing. I was watching a, a, a webinar with the uh, CEO of, um, of um, the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, 
Jonathan Greenblatt. I never met him in person, but we exchanged, and I put that, uh, that was my claim to fame. I exchanged a dialogue with uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, and he was, they were talking about anti-Semitism and what could do, be done, nothing could be done. They were like confused. So, so I, I said, there seems to be um, uh, some Christians who genuinely want to come to our rescue. I was speaking to him as another Jew, which I am. I didn't have to say I'm a Jew or believe in Jesus for the conversation that was not needed very little time. Jonathan seems to believe that those days are gone and that we can, o- we can only trust the Jewish community. What if vocal Christians want to join ranks with harassed Jews? And his response was to clarify, I completely agree. We have allies and they can come from many faiths, many fields, many traditions. So he was open to, to Christians coming to the rescue and helping Jewish people for such a time as this. So that, that was encouraging to me. Now, I want to kind of circle back uh, to the family of the beginning uh, as we're looking at acting in the present before I can kind of wrap it up with, you know, um, um, altering the future. During the war, there was a group that became known, I think it was in 1953, uh, Yad Vashem, the the Memorial Museum of the Holocaust in uh, Jerusalem, started that program, I think it's 1953, uh, just a few years after the war, uh, the righteous among the nations. They were Gentiles who were, uh, that uh, were recognized for rescuing uh, their Jewish people during the Holocaust. And they did it at the risk of their own lives. They didn't ask for any money and they did not try to... Uh, they, didn't, they just did it out of the kindness of their heart. They were not Jewish. They were Gentiles. They risked their lives, didn't take any money, and they, uh, I mean, it, it was a big risk. Okay, that's the medal that uh, the Yad Vashem gives a person or a family when they're found and recognized as a righteous among the nations or a righteous Gentile. So, here is a family, uh, Pierre and Ida Darico. This is the way you say it in Texas, Pierre and Ida Darico. This, no, it's the French way. The French family of farmers, two not so famous righteous among the nations. Nobody knows them. Maybe in their village, but nobody knows them in the world. They, who, who were they? Well, this couple of farmers, they had three kids, two sons and a daughter, and they're long gone. The parents are long gone, but uh, they rescued that young girl that you saw in the picture at the beginning that I told you a picture of this Evelyn Weinsweig. Pierre and Ida Darico rescued Evelyn. You see her right there on the, on the screen. It's Evelyn, which basically was put on a train from Paris probably days after her father was taken by the Gestapo and killed in Auschwitz. And she was taken to the southwest of France, right above the Pyrenees uh, Mountains, right above Spain, and stayed that, in that small village, hidden on a farm, like you've seen some of those movies, hidden on a farm by righteous Gentiles, who just basically fed her, and it was the war. It was hard. They didn't have any money. They were farmers. They were uneducated, poor farmers, who said, we'll take that girl and her two cousins. So my, that, that, that woman and the two cousins came to be rescued by Pierre and Ida Darico. Now, seven years later, Evelyn, under the yellow uh, arrow, is reunited with the two brothers on each side of her, when the man on the right is giving the brothers the medal of Yad Vashem, recognizing in 2013 that their parents were now known as righteous among the nations because they helped rescue three Jews during the war. And uh, there's like 28,000 of those people in the whole world. There's not that many 
Uh, and we're still discovering them, but it's like less and less, of course. And they come from many different countries. There's only five from America, uh, righteous among the nations. The most, which always surprised me, the most people in the righteous among the nations were in Poland, which, you know, when you think about it, Poland was very anti-Semitic, still to this day, and 95% of the Jews of Poland died during the Holocaust, 95%. And yet, the most righteous among the nations were found in Poland. But that uh, lady, Evelyn, has that family to, be, uh, to thank for being rescued. Now, what you need to know is that um, Evelyn Weinzweig married George Melnick, and they had two children, Brigitte Melnick and Olivier Melnick. This is my mother. And I wouldn't be here tonight talking to you if that family of righteous Gentiles had not taken it upon themselves to rescue those Jewish kids and save them from the Nazis. And then my mother came back to uh, Paris, married my dad. They were married for 63 years. And I had the, that's for another day because we won't have time, but I had the privilege of leading both my, my mother and my father to the Lord the same day, 10 years ago. Uh, I have never cried so much in a day. After praying for them, and that's an encouragement to all of you, after praying for them for 28 years, I led my mother to the Lord, and then I went to the hospital where my dad was dying from throat cancer. That was not too many years after the picture was taken. And I led him to the Lord. He prayed the sinner's prayer, squeezing my finger for yes every time I led him through the prayer. And then uh, within five hours on that day, led my mom to Jesus and my dad to Jesus. And I, I thought, well, if they get saved, I pray for them. We argue about Jewish things and Bible and Jesus. If they get saved, it's not going to be through their son because, you know, a prophet is never like in his own country. You know, they knew me before I was saved. I was not a bad person, but... They knew me, and yet the Lord blessed me with leading both mom and dad to the Lord. So I look at that picture. They're both gone now, but uh, I'll see them again. So it's, I, I, I look forward to that. So I wouldn't be here if my mother had not been saved by, uh, by righteous Gentiles. And, and, and I want you to remember this because uh, now I want to talk as we close we might have time for Q&As. You have been listening very fast. I, I'm, I'm proud of you. The time of Jacob's trouble. This is a passage. My, my wife led me to the Lord in 1983, summer of 1983, so it's been 40 years last summer. I remember reading this to Ellen, and I would say, I don't like this. Let me read it to you. This is speaking of what's going to happen to the Jews during this, the, the, the tribulation. Uh, those who are not going to make it. Some will make it, you know, by, by the grace of God and by the help of the, of the sheep of the, the sheep and the goats. But look at Zechariah 13, 8 and 9. Before Yeshua uh, comes back, it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it, and it will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. This is a, a passage that I would tell my wife, I don't like this. Because if it was to happen today, there's 15 million Jews in the world. If we were in that time of the tribulation today, 10 million would die and 5 million would survive. That's the two-third, one-third. If you take this out of the Bible, then we're guilty of canceling culture, rewriting history, whatever, you, whatever we fight. We're guilty of the same thing. We have to take this 
at what it says. It's there. It exists. It's real. It's going to happen. But wait. But wait. I showed that to my wife so many times and then one day she said, Olivier, calm down. Take a deep breath. Read it again. So I read it again and I went, what? She said, look. It's a percentage not an exact number. And I go like, so what? She goes, well, God wants to give you numbers. The, the, the 400 years, the 12 tribes, the, the six days of creation, the, 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 the 144,000. When He wants to give us numbers, precise numbers, they're there in the Bible. But here it's a percentage. And I go, so what? She goes, the percentage will never change. It's always going to be two-third will perish, one-third will survive. But what if those numbers within the two-third and one-third were smaller? if we are more active in sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And all of a sudden, that scripture became like positive. I'm going like, I like that. And so I, you know, I mean, at first I thought 10 million to 5 million, this is terrible. From a premium preacher perspective, any Jewish person saved before the rapture will reduce the number within the percentage. It's still two-third, one-third, but it doesn't have to be 10 million, 5 million. could be a lot less. If all of us get off our tuches, that's another word in Yiddish, for bottom, okay, if we get a fortuches and are active in sharing with the Jewish people uh, or supporting people who do that, then, then we'll make a difference. So that's, that's my, uh, my, oh, I'm, this, this is the end. This is the end. Not the end of the end, but the end of my message. So, so friends, here we are. I don't know I was talking to my brother who drove me to the... I forgot your name. Is it Jim? No. What's his... Jim? And, and I was talking in the, in the car and I said, Jim, I, I just want to finish strong. And I started this new ministry. I don't know how much time we have left. <laughs> and he's driving and he's going like, you have until the end of your life. I went like, okay, all right. That's wisdom right there. It's true. I haven't told the end of my life. Because, but I want to finish strong. What I mean is, I want to really make a difference. Not that I was not making a difference before. But, remember, October 7th changed everything. It's almost as if anti-Semitism is becoming, hear me out, trendy. It used to be taboo. Then it kind of became tolerated in some circles. Now it's becoming trendy. People are bold enough to express their anti-Semitism, which is crazy to me in this lifetime. So, two things I want to finish with. And if you have a smartphone, which most of those are smarter than any of us, uh, I have two QR codes that you can scan. The first one is if you want the notes from tonight. So if you want the notes from tonight, you can scan this QR code and you'll get my whole set of PowerPoints and all the notes and everything. It's going to take you to a page, the Shalom and Messiah sign-up page, and if you put your name and email, you will get, uh, when you say submit, you click submit, the thank you screen will say, thank you for submitting your information, click here to get the PowerPoint, and then it's going to download uh, uh, on your phone. And it's safe, it's all safe, there's no virus. That's the first one, if you want my notes, okay? And uh, I will leave those with Pastor uh, Robbie in case you don't do it tonight, and you think about it, you pray about it, or it didn't work for you, I will leave those with them so you can uh, you can scan them later or you can just go to shalominmessiah.com shalominmessiah.com and then you get to the same place. The next one 
is very important. This is important too if you want the notes. I promised I would give them to you, so here it is. The next one, the next barcode, the next QR code, I'm going to show you in a minute. It's not here, not yet. Three and a half years ago, a group of us, like-minded Christians, decided, I mean, we, we had a, a, a common vision. And when I say vision, I don't mean a vision like b- biblical proportions, like with you know, lights and sound and voices. God impressed on our hearts the same thing. We got together, we were friends, but we were not necessarily friends who knew each other. I knew them all, but we didn't know all uh, all of us as a group that we do now. And here was the main idea was this. We had the, this, this sense that things were... In a, this is three and a half years ago, okay? We had a sense that things are going to get a lot worse for the Jewish people. I've been studying this for 23 years, teaching it, reading books, writing books, and... And doing conferences, I said, guys, it's, it's, it's going to get really bad for the Jews. It's going to get to a place where they're going to be, again, not safe to be Jewish. And they agreed. I said, what do we do? So we started a, it's not an organization, it's not a ministry, it's not a, it doesn't exist, it's not registered, it's a network of like-minded believers. Um, it has to be private and secretive because it is the equivalent of a, um, the Underground Railroad for Jewish people. It's a network of Christians who are saying, if we get to the place where my Jewish neighbor or a Jewish person that is sent to me needs rescue and shelter, my house is open. So we have this place when, you, when people, when you scan the uh, QR code, you get to another page which is secure. When you ask questions, you'll get some, some directions. And then you get to this page when you ask questions, you know, do you own a farm? Do you own a house? A condo? Are you a doctor? Are you a lawyer? Are you, do you drive a bus? Do you fly a plane? Think, uh, think, are you a, a, a registered nurse? Do you know other languages? Things that could be helpful. And we put these people on the network. And so far they haven't heard from us except for occasional email to let them know what's going on, but we're just growing the network. At the same time, we're reaching out to the Jewish community, and that's where the prayers are needed. I, I need you to pray that the Lord would open big doors in the Jewish community so that I can actually tell them what we're doing, because we can be the best network if they don't know about us or if they don't trust us. It's pointless, but that will come too. But uh, So this network is, uh, we don't raise money. We don't ask for money. We don't, we don't have a, a website where we advertise. We don't have brochures. We have nothing because we don't want to exist. I mean, we do exist. But we don't want people to know. We want to be very safe. Very, uh, so it's very secretive. Uh, it's called B2Z, Bridges to Zion. And uh, I'm not trying to, uh, to uh, you know, I, I don't want to force you to do anything. But if you think this is something that you would want to be part of, to be available when a Jewish family, Jewish person, couple... Would, would need shelter. You know, I, I, I tell my friends, I said, listen, as Christians, when it gets to be that bad for the Jews and they knock at three in the morning at the door of your house and they say, I can't go back to my house. Uh, it's not safe. Uh, I can't drive my car right now. They took my car. My, my bank account is frozen. Don't think it's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's all in place already. You know, they could even do that to the Christians. We're next. Uh, but if they say, you know, I don't have my car. My bank bank account is frozen. I can't go back to my house. It's not safe. I don't know where to go. I know you're a Christian. You always tell me you love Israel. Are you going to say, I will pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Or are you going to say, come in, come in? No, but that's that's why I said that ship sailed. 
we continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We continue to pray for Israel, for the Jewish people. But friends, this is why I started this ministry two weeks ago after being with another Chosen People Ministries great mission for 26 years. I didn't want to leave. But the Lord had pulled me completely away from doing a good job as original director. So I said, okay, I've got to make a decision. So I made that decision. Right now, I want to wake up the body, equip the body, and mobilize the body to be ready to make a difference. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get, whoever it is, you, the rest of the people in the network, are going to get a chance to get Jewish people in their homes and they will have a captive audience to hear the gospel. So not only do I want people to be ready, but I also want to prepare them. So I, I, we are going to provide the people joining the network with materials so that they'll know how to share the gospel with Jewish people. Because there's a way. It's the same gospel for everybody. Except with Jewish people, it's the same ingredients, different recipe. It's a kosher recipe. But, but it's the same ingredients. It's the same gospel. We all come to the Father through the Son. There's no other gospel. Any other gospel is not the gospel. Amen? So, I want you to pray about this. Uh, again, we're not asking... You know, the, my, my other ministry uh, that I started... We go by faith and we, you know, people donate to the ministry. So Bridges Design, uh, Bridges Design is a network that doesn't exist that will rescue Jewish people. Uh, we exist, believe me. There's people over the U.S. and even in the world, but we can't help the people in the world. It's too much for us. But uh, this is where we're going to help the Jewish people. But for me to be able to volunteer with them, I have to work with the nonprofit that I started, Shalom and Messiah. So if the Lord leads you to do so, if you want to help me in the, in the ministry, you can make donations to Shalom and Messiah, non-profit, uh, um, uh, tax-exempt organization, uh, and uh, you can stay in touch with us. That's the first barcode that I gave you, this one, the blue one. So the blue one is for Shalom and Messiah. I should have put the logo. I forgot to put it. And the other one is for the network. And we are three minutes before the end of the hour, and I am going to open, I hope I don't regret it, I'm going to open it for Q&As. Do we have any questions? It, it could be on, uh, can I do that, Pastor, for a few minutes? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going back home with Pastor Robbie to his house, so I have nowhere to go, so I can do this as long as you want. So if you have questions about this, anything that I spoke about or that was not clear, or anything else about Jewish people, Jewish ministry, shoot, go ahead. You want this? Do you have enough? That's not the wire. No. Just unscrew it. (laughs) Speak loud if you have questions. What? Sorry, what? Eddie, do you have a Wi-Fi microphone back there? Okay. Should we wait or should we start? Go ahead. Any questions? Just repeat their question. I will. So they get all the recording, yes. Well, maybe we have no questions. It was so clear. (laughs) Or maybe I scare them. Maybe I should start with a Jewish joke. Yes.
How do you eat an elephant? Yeah. One bite at a time. Sure. So, how do you confront? Um, well, one person can make a difference. Uh, there's many things you can do. Um, if if the Jewish community of Houston uh, experiences anti-Semitism and becomes public, something on the news, and, and you've heard things already, uh, a phone call from you, from anybody, say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a Gentile Christian, I love Israel, I love the Jewish people, I have a personal relationship with Jesus who was a Jew, and I heard what happened to your community, I want to offer help. Uh, you're the front of your synagogue was defaced. Can I come and help you paint and clean up? They most likely will say no. But thank you. You're, that's one brick put back on the bridge between Christians and Jews. One brick at a time. Just let them know. Say, hey, I want to help. I want, I want to make a difference. Or call them. Or, say, call, or, or if you know anybody Jewish. You know, you, it's good to speak up against anti-Semitism. But right now, in many situations... All you might be able to do is to speak up, to go to your Jewish neighbor or your Jewish, whoever you know who's Jewish, and say, listen, I know it's really crazy for the Jewish people globally right now. I want you to know I'm a Christian, and even though you might have heard things that Christians don't like Jews, I'm not one of those. Because I read my Bible, and Israel and the Jews are on almost every page. I mean, you don't have to throw Jesus at them the first time. Because you have to earn their trust. But, but show that you care. And it's one person at a time, one conversation at a time. And don't worry about what the anti-Semites will say. Just show your Jewish friends that regardless of what they say, I'm not them and I love you and I'm here for you. I'm not saying you need to open your house like we talked about it. If you do, that's great. But, but that's, that's something else. But speaking up and letting your Jewish friends know that you, for real, are their friends. And don't just say, I'll pray for you. It's like, anything I can do. Do pray for them. Pray for their salvation, if nothing else. But also let them know that there's anything uh, material that you need to do. Can I help you with something? Can you, do you need any help? You can count on me. The Jewish community, anywhere, Houston, Dallas, Paris, anywhere, they need to know that the Christians are their friends because there are a lot of Christians that are supporting Hamas, supporting uh, a Palestinian uh, narrative, uh, supporting uh, you know all those things that are the lies of the devil. Let me give you the... I should have started with that and I did not. Let me give you the definition, my definition of anti-Semitism. And pay attention to the first two words. They're key. Anti-Semitism is the irrational and demonic hatred of the Jewish people in Israel characterized by thoughts, words, and deeds against them. The irrational and satanic or demonic hatred of, is of the Jews and of Israel characterized by thoughts, words, and deeds. Irrational because it's, it's from the devil. Why is it from the devil? Anti-Semitism is from the devil because he knows that at the end of the tribulation when the Jews call up and say Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord that's when Jesus comes back. Satan knows that Jesus comes back when Israel calls him. The remnant of Israel at the end of the tribulation. They call him and he returns. They, we know that because he said it. You will not see me again. He was speaking to Israel. You will not see me again until you say Blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord. Baruch Haba Bashem Adonai. And when that happens, 
Satan is out of a job and he doesn't like his retirement plan. So he wants to postpone it or, or, or stop it from happening if he could. So if he can kill all the Jews and turn all the Jews against Jesus, then then he's got a, it's it's perfect for him because the Jews are if he kills all the Jews then no Jew can call upon the Messiah he's not returning if he's not returning Satan has his job secure and everything's good we know this is not the end of the story but Satan's going to go all the way trying that so anti-Semitism is a creation of Satan to kill the Jews he tried to, before the first coming he tried to corrupt the line of the Messiah didn't work he's going to try before the second coming he's, he's trying right now so, I don't know if this was more of an answer for your question, but... Any other question? What is the best response to a Jew when you're trying to convince him that he can be a Christian? What is the best response to a Jew when you're trying to convince him that he can be a Christian? Well, first of all, that's not going to happen in five minutes. <laughs> but this is the way I'd like to start. Because if you can get them to read the Bible with you and study the Bible, then you have something that you can work on together. But how do you do that? Because we know that Jewish people don't believe the New Testament is inspired, right? I mean, Jewish people only read the Jewish Bible. And to be honest with you, they don't even read that. Let me say, the Old Testament is the Jewish Bible. The Jewish Bible is the Old Testament. A few books less in the Jewish Bible simply because Chronicles, um, uh, Kings... And uh, um, Chronicles, Kings, Samuel. Samuel, thank you, are not first and second, but they're just one book. In you know, uh, they were like one scroll. So there's like a few less books in different order. The first five books of the Bible in the Jewish Bible: the Torah, the Law, T Torah. The next series of books are the Prophets, the Nevi'im, the Prophets, all the Prophets, and then the last section is the Ketuvim, the Writings, all the what we know as Christians is a wisdom literature. You take a T, you take an N, and you take a K, and you make an acronym, you put A's in the middle, and you put Tanakh. The Tanakh is the Jewish Bible. It's an acronym of Torah, Nevim, Ketuvim, Tanakh. It, it contains the, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Even Jesus said that. You know, He talks about the law, the prophets, and the writings. So, you tell your Jewish friend, I, I want to try something with you. And you, and you are, offer something in good faith. You say, I want to look at some scripture with you, but I know that you don't believe the New Testament is inspired. So I do, but because I respect the fact that you don't, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to use the New Testament. I'm not going to open it. I believe it's inspired. I believe it's, uh, it's great value, but I want to respect your position. So I'm not going to use the New Testament at all. I know, right now you're going like, how oh, can I do that? Hold on. Then you, like, you tell your Jewish friends, now I know that most Jewish people value the Talmud very much. And, and if they're honest with you, when you go to synagogue, when you go study, when the religious, the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox, the religious Jews, they go to synagogue, they study, they always go to study Talmud Torah. You notice Talmud is before Torah. They believe that the Talmud, which is a, 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 a compilation of a lot of writings from many rabbis, commentaries on the Old Testament, on the law, and, and the Talmud is, is basically filling a room with a bunch of Jews, and you know, you put a room, you put two Jews in a room, you get three opinions. So if you fill a room with a bunch of rabbis, you, you're not getting out alive. Okay? So the Talmud is just commentary. It's not inspired, as far as we see it. 
Jewish people will tell you it's not really inspired, but it's close. So I tell my Jewish friend, I'm going to put the, the, the New Testament aside. I'm not going to offend you with the New Testament. We, we believe in it, but we, you tell him that, but you say, I'm not going to bother. I would appreciate if you could also put the Talmud aside for the time of the conversation so that you and I can have the common ground of the Jewish Bible. So now, you have the same Bible that Paul used to preach Jesus, the Old Testament. Because Paul didn't have the four spiritual laws. Okay? Or the New Testament. So now you have the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and you can go one at a time through the Messianic prophecies. One of my favorite books that I, I still teach a class based on that book, it used to be called Messianic Christology by Arnold Furtenbaum. And now it's called uh, uh, Yeshua HaMashiach. Uh, I forgot the full title, but it's the same book. And it, it goes from Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, all the way to all the books of the, of the Jewish Bible in the order of the Jewish Bible. And it paints this picture of a human being, uh, a man, a Jewish man from the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49.10, a uh, prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18, uh, um, uh, born of a virgin, <coughs> Isaiah 7.14, both man and God, Isaiah 9.6 and 7. So you get all those one by one. And when you look at them with an honest uh, approach of I want to find the truth, which is what I did when my wife introduced me to all the, the prophecies about the Messiah 40 years ago, I couldn't deny that this was painting the picture of Jesus. I didn't have to accept him, but I could not deny that this was talking about Jesus. So if your Jewish friend is, is open, he will, uh, but again, this is not done in five minutes. And it's it, it's a, like a discipleship thing when you go, like, you know, let's have coffee once a week and I'll show you one little thing in your Bible one at a time and we can discuss it. Again, so that, that's what I would do. And uh, another thing, uh, it's 39. Do we have a couple more minutes? Okay, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm good all night. Um, you're, this is what I love to do, so I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Jewish people are believe that survival is survival of the Jewish people is connected to the identity of the Jewish people. As long as I have my Jewish identity, we'll survive as a group, we'll survive as a, as a, as a people group. When a Jewish person comes to Yeshua, Jesus, the Jewish community believes that they move from being a Jew to being a Christian. What they don't understand is that this is not really a change. It's not comparing apples to apples. Is comparing apples to oranges. The reason why is because, and it's on both sides. The Christians are mis, mis, misunderstanding that, and the Jews are misunderstanding that. There is a big difference between two things: Judaism and Jewishness. I was born of Jewish parents. You've seen their picture on the slides. I was born of Jewish parents, so my Jewishness is in my blood. It's part of who I am. I cannot lose my Jewishness. I did not have a blood transfusion when I became a believer 40 years ago. It's the same blood in my veins. I'm a Jew by birth. Now, Judaism is something that I can choose to practice or not practice. But being a Jew, Judaism does not define me as a Jew. Some Jewish people will tell you it is. It does, but it doesn't. What defines me as a Jew is my origins, my, 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 my parents, my grandparents. So, and I had that conversation with my dad years ago before he was a believer. I said, Dad, does it bother you that I believe in Jesus? Well, it doesn't bother me. We're not really religious. 
but you're not Jewish anymore. I said, I'm not? And he goes, no, you're a Christian now. I said, Dad, are you Jewish? And my dad claimed until a week before he died when I led him to the Lord, he claimed that he was an atheist. God didn't exist, period. So I said, Dad, are you Jewish? He goes, of course. Are you sure? Yes. Do you believe in God? You know I don't. Okay. So a, a belief of anything or nothing at all is not making you Jewish. You're Jewish because you're Jewish. He goes, of course. And then I paused and I said, so why should it be any different for me? He got all red in the face, yelled at me, and we didn't talk about that topic for several years. But, but you have to challenge your friends. You have to say, there's a difference between Judaism. You all can practice Judaism starting tonight. You can start reciting the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Elohim Adonai Yechad tomorrow morning in your prayers. You can start wearing yarmulkes, keeping kosher, going to synagogue. That won't make you a Jew. That will make you a proselyte to Judaism. And that won't make you a better spiritual person or a better Christian. It will just make you somebody who follows Judaism. And a Jew who does not follow anything remains a Jew. I think a Jew who follows the Jewish Messiah is a super Jew. No. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, any other questions? We probably need to wrap it up. Yes? What is their opinion of sin nature? What is the Jewish opinion of sin nature? Uh, it kind of like is um, a little bit like Christians, depending on what kind of Christians you call yourself or what kind of denomination. Anywhere from there's no sin to sin is a real thing. It, it, it's all across the spectrum. Those who don't believe in, uh, like my dad, when he didn't believe in anything, probably said like sin, you know, like, you know, there's good people, there's bad people. Do the best you can at being a good person and God will see that. You know, that's the world, what the world says. Um, which of course is, you know, it's not good enough. You know, there's nothing we can do to be good enough. I mean, the commandments, you know, the Ten Commandments. I got news for you guys. It's not Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were written by the hand of God on the tablets of stones. It's 613 commandments. It's not easy being Jewish. <laughs> so I am so happy that I am under grace because now I can have bacon with, <laughs> with my shrimps. So, um, what was your question? Your sin. So it 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 it, it goes across the, the uh, across the spectrum, uh, you know, from no sin, nothing to sin is a real thing, and we need to work our way uh, uh, against sin. The, the religious Jews today, they uh, it became a religion of, um, of 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 works, and that happened uh, about. 20 years after the destruction of the temple, AD 70, the temple was destroyed and then there was a group of Jews that got together in a small town in Israel known as Yavne and under the leadership of Rabbi um, Yohanan ben Zakkai. And ben Zakkai got a bunch of Jews uh, and uh, that was already a miracle uh, together. And uh, they started to talk about what are we going to do now? We can't do the temple anymore. Now the, they were they were the descendants of the, you know, of the Pharisees because the Sadducees pretty much without a temple they couldn't function, so they're going to cease to exist within a, a few generations. But the, the the Pharisees of yesteryear are the, the 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 Orthodox rabbis of today. That the the, the rabbis of today they have the same um, Jewish religious thought that the Pharisees had back in the days. Pretty much. So, Yohanan ben Zakkai said, we cannot, we don't have a temple anymore, so we have to restructure Judaism. So now, Judaism is going to become a, a religion where we have to do prayer, fasting, and good deeds. It works. 
Now, is there anything wrong with prayer? No. Anything wrong with fasting? No. Anything wrong with good works? Of course not. But as Christians, we do this after we're saved. To thank God for saving us. There's nothing in those three that we can do before we're saved to save us. We know that. But Ben Zakkai, Rabbi Ben Zakkai, decided we're going to re- re- restructure everything and it became this religion of works, basically. With all the laws and you know the, the 613 commandments, many of them could not even be practiced anymore because they were attached to a temple. But it's still today, all those kosher laws and all those different things that Jewish people are bound to uh, and the sad thing is that Ben Zakkai on his deathbed, one of his disciples was holding his hand and praying with him and he said, Rabbi, why are you crying? And he said, because today I'm going to meet my maker and I do not know which way I'm going. So here's a man who reformed, restructured Judaism and he was not even sure that he had done enough, which of course he, probably, he did not. He was not even sure they had done enough. That's how sad it was. And I'm getting the... Uh, I, I, I think... I think I need to stop. I'm scared. I'm scared. I got a question for you. Okay, what's the relationship between Ben Zakkai and Rabbi Akiva? Uh, Rabbi Akiva is the one who recognized uh, uh, Bar Kokhba, oh, called Bar Kokhba as the Messiah. But Rabbi, falsely. But Rabbi Akiva was at, was at uh, Yavne. Uh, Yavne. Yeah. 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 And, and instrument. Have you read Rabbi Akiva's Messiah? Uh, I could lie and say yes. <laughs> we need to talk about it. I haven't really read it yet either, but I know that I know what he says. Okay. So, and it is Rabbi Akiva who reshapes. He's the brains. He's the genius that reshapes Judaism. Rabbi Akiva uh, uh, also look at the, the, the Bar Kokhba revolt, and he called Bar Kokhba the Jewish Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was a false Messiah. It was recognized. But I use Rabbi Akiva in one way. When I talk to Jewish people, they tell me that Jesus is not the Messiah. You're not Jewish anymore. I say, wait a minute. You still recognize Rabbi Akiva as one of the great rabbis of all times, and he was wrong on the Messiah. Can I be wrong and still be a Jew? They don't like that. Close your prayer. Are we close in prayer? Yeah. Okay. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share my heart, share my passion with uh, a, a part of the body here, Lord. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Robbie uh, inviting me here and giving me a, a, a platform to, to speak uh, your truth and, and, and the, the burden you've given me. I pray that I could share this burden with some people here and they could join forces with us. Lord, thank you for... Um, for uh, you, the clear message we get in your word that you're not finished with Israel, you're not finished with the Jewish people. Lord, we want to make a difference. We want to be there for the Jewish community. Thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi, Pastor Rabbi. Uh, tonight I call you Rabbi. Rabbi, Rabbi. And uh, thank you for the, the great fellowship. And we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.